Will the congregation please open in the Word of God to Mark chapter 7. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, this Lord's Day afternoon. <clears throat> Story of the Canaanitish woman. Please join with me in prayer once again to our God. Heavenly Father, we again come before Thee. We ask for Thy help, O God, to hear Thy Word, to be careful and attentive to how we hear, that we might hear correctly and with profit. Holy Spirit, that Thou wouldst apply Thy Word preached and read to Thy people. O God, give us hearts which burn for Thee, which love thy son, Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning on our behalf. Lord, we delight in thy word. Help us to delight all the more. Grant us faith. Grant us knowledge, wisdom, application. The Lord rebuke Satan from taking the seed, the good word, from the good soil of our hearts. Lord, Indeed, may it increase a hundredfold, O God, worth of fruit. That our love for thy Son, Jesus Christ, would be increased. Our triune covenant God, we bow before thee, we look to thee, ask that thy word would, in the preaching, sink down to our hearts and not just our minds, and us into our hands and feet, that we might live the word that we understand, and the one that our affections are moved by, not only to know thee, but to love thee, to serve thee. Grant us help, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Again, this is the story of the Canaanitish woman, the woman from Cana, Canaan. Hear now the word of the Lord, verses 24 through 30. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house and would have no man know it, but it cannot be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him. They would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. When she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. As far the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it. Dear congregation, the Lord Jesus has an elect people. They are those upon whom he has set his love from all eternity. Amen. 
Those whom he has covenanted, covenanted to save from before the foundation of the very world itself. Regardless of where these elect peoples live, where they are from, what age they live in, what nationality they are, yet they are his. They are his. And when they are given the eyes of faith through the preaching of the gospel, the working of the Holy Spirit, when they're given the eyes of faith to see him lifted up, they shall be drawn unto him as they always have been. In our passage, we see Christ departing into the region of Tyre and Sidon, far from the people of Israel. He came to call his sheep. That's why he came into the world, to save sinners, to gather his people unto himself. And here too, even in this region of Tyre and Sidon, he also has some people. Nothing, dear congregation, shall prevent the Lord Jesus from bringing his faithful saints, his believers, his people unto himself and delivering them from all their sins, all their curses. His covenant of grace is made with all those who by grace have faith. Therefore, wherever faith is found, there are his people found. In our passage, we have a striking and moving example whose heart cannot be affected when reading the story of this Gentile woman. In the passage before us, let us consider three points. First, who the woman was. Who the woman was? Who was this woman? Secondly, her interaction with Christ. What took place? And third, Christ honoring her faith. We'll see Christ honoring her faith or faith breaking through. First, who the woman was? We notice first that she was a a person of faith and prayer. She was a person of faith and prayer. True faith Dear congregation, brings nothing to Christ except desire and dependence. True faith brings nothing to Jesus Christ except desire and dependence. It's instructive for us to notice that the woman does not come with anything to offer, does she? She does not attempt to purchase, earn, warrant, or merit anything from Christ. Rather, she comes to him and humbly lays her needs before Jesus. She lays them all out. Above informing Christ of the situation, above informing Christ of that which she desired him to do, the only words we have written about what she says to him are ones of dependence. All we hear her say, and we supplement our passage in Mark with that in Matthew. I don't often do this, but I think it's helpful in this place to do so. All we hear her say are such pleadings as, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David, and Lord, help me. Her posture, which is here in our passage in Mark, is also worthy of notice. For it complements the words that she says. She came and fell at his feet, we read. She came and fell at his feet. These things all demonstrate faith in Christ and what true faith in Christ looks like. Dependent faith, desperate faith. We also see that she is a woman of faith by her perseverance in prayer. Again, looking to the specifically that passage, the parallel passage in Matthew. She not only came to Christ, not only prayed to him, but even when she was resisted 
Even when she met with difficulty, even when it looked like she would not receive anything from him, yet she continued steadfast in her praying. At no point did she resort to the arm of the flesh to help her. She didn't give up and go try to find some doctor, some miracle worker, some witch doctor who could cast out the demon from her daughter. She did not give up her faith that Jesus would indeed be merciful to her, just as he had been merciful to others. Just as he had been merciful to others. If there was power enough for others, she thought. If there's power enough for others, even demonstrations that have been reported of boundless power to do good and to show mercy, surely there could be some portion of power to help her. Dear congregation, as the Puritans so often said, grace is the golden key that opens the door to God's mercies. And faith is the hand that turns the key. This woman was content to use God's means. Not the means of the flesh. Not the power of man, but the power of God. She was content to depend on grace entirely, even casting herself at the feet of him who is grace and power and divinity itself. Second thing we notice about her, she was a mother. She was a mother. Her prayers were not for her own interest primarily, though surely she would be greatly blessed to have what she asked for. Rather, her desperate pleadings were on behalf of another, her young daughter who had an unclean spirit, we read. She prays, have mercy on me, O Lord. My daughter is grievously vexed With the devil, she loved her daughter. And we know from 1 Corinthians 13, 5, that love seeketh not her own. Thus, in her prayers, she besought him that Jesus would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. Now, let this be a teaching unto the mothers and the fathers here in this room. We can employ, we can employ the most tender and loving discipline for our children. We can ensure that they receive a safe and sound education. We can lovingly correct them. We can, by catechism and example, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as Paul commands the fathers to do. All these things we can and should do. But if we do not earnestly pray for our children, we have no reason to believe that we shall in any wise play a role in their salvation. We may hope that God will be merciful to them in spite of us, but not because of us. If we truly love our children, we must pray for them and that often. This is the scriptural pattern for parents, isn't it? Especially mothers. Abraham and Sarah prayed for Isaac. We read, the book of 1 Samuel, Hannah pouring herself out in prayer to God for her son Samuel. Job regularly rose up early in the morning, we read, to intercede on behalf of his children. Elizabeth prayed for her son John the Baptist. Mary prayed for her son Jesus, who was the Christ. Church history also affords us a Number of examples of parents who prayed for their children, upon whom the Lord showed mercy and greatly used them. Augustine's mother spent many years praying for his conversion. 
He wasn't converted till later in life as a young man. Spurgeon's mother cried daily out for mercy to be given to her son. Dear congregation, no doubt, a golden thread can be followed back through some of the greatest works of God in history. We can follow it back and it will lead us to closets and bedsides where we will find faithful parents pouring their hearts and tears out before the Lord in prayer to their children. I really believe that. Let us also follow this biblical pattern as parents. More good, dear congregation, shall be done for our children. More good will be done for their souls by prayer than by anything else we do. Than by anything else we do. We must, like this woman, come to God for our children. We must pray daily. Oh, my father, be thou merciful unto me by showing mercy unto my children. As thou hast covenanted in grace with me, so too covenant in grace with them, my father. Be pleased, O Lord, to use any of my good efforts for their soul's salvation and to kindly let none of my sins affect them. Be thou not only their mother and their father's God, but theirs also. Those are the kinds of prayers we should be praying for our children. And that often. This we must do all of their lives. From the womb unto the grave, whether it be their grave or ours. But think not, dear believer, that you may not begin praying for your children now before you even have them. Even if you do not have children here in this room, you may begin praying for the children the Lord might give to you. Not only can you ask that God bless you with children, but also that he would bless the children themselves, giving them salvation. Even if you're not married yet, if you don't have any prospects of being married, but you know you don't have the gift of singleness, you can not only begin praying that God would bring a spouse into your life, but that in that spouse, he would make that marriage fruitful, give you children, and begin praying for those children that might come to pass as well for their salvation. Amen. I wonder how many have arrived in heaven to find out it was their great-grandfather, their father, their grandmother's prayers that were used of God. To bring them to salvation. Next thing we we must notice about her. She was a Gentile. The woman was a person of faith. A person of prayer. One who interceded for her children. Yet she was a Gentile. A Greek. A Syrophoenician by nation. She was not part of the sheep of the house of Israel. As we read in the passage in Matthew 15. By birth, she had no right to the covenant. No right to come unto God. But by the covenant of grace, dear believer. By the covenant of grace, which God has made with his elect people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, she did have a right to approach, didn't she? Amen. Christianity, dear congregation, is not a classist religion. The king has no more right to Jesus Christ than does the pauper and the poor man. Christ came to save his people from their sins. And there is no distinction made between those people. God is not a respecter of persons. Contrary to what is being taught by men and women and every major evangelical 
and some even reformed denominations. Race and nationality, dear congregation, play no part in Christianity. Amen. None. As Paul says in Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. That's everybody. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Some men and women in some of the most popular seminaries in America have recently promoted a book. This is shocking. And I ask God's forgiveness for what I'm about to speak. And, your, and yours. Have recently promoted a book titled A Rhythm of Prayer. Which can be purchased at your local Target. In which we find such prayers as this. Dear God, please help me to hate white people. Or at least want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them. Individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls. To stop believing that they can be better. That they can stop being racist. Free me from this burden of calling them to confession and repentance. Grant, grant me a get out of judgment free card. If I make white people the exception to your commandment. To love our neighbors as we love ourselves. These trusted pastors and seminary professors. Who have signed on to the, ba- the Baptist faith and message to the Westminster Confession of Faith and other sound confessional documents can profess to be Christian all they want. All they want while promoting such viperous filth. Mm. Blasphemy. But the picture before us in the Syrophoenician woman demonstrates that they have no part in Christ. None. I don't care what letters are before their name or what their last name is or what popular denomination they're a part of, Mm. what best-selling reformed book they've written. They are none of Christ's. Being a member of a solid reformed denomination does not prove that one knows Christ. Mm. In fact, it's becoming such that makes me doubt they know Christ. Rather, Doing as this woman did in our passage is what proves one to be Christ's. Mm. Number four, she was a desperate woman. Finally, let's notice she was a desperate woman. Until we come to the end of ourselves, dear congregation, just like she did, we shall never make any progress in religion, will we? We must ask for everything we need from Christ alone. From Christ alone, not relying on ourselves or others at all. Our Lord tells us, ask, ask, and it shall be given you. But we must ask dependently, desperately, faithfully. As the Apostle James writes, that there's many who do ask, just as Jesus said to do. They ask, but they do not receive. Why? He writes, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. That is, they ask incorrectly, without faith. James writes, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, but let him ask in faith, nothing, nothing wavering. That is, in complete dependence. 
For if we come to God in prayer and we pray to God, but all the while doubt and set our minds on finding out our own solution for the problem, we do not ask in faith. Such prayers are not prayers of faith. Hence, James says, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You've heard the old example. We ask things from God, but our hands are gripping onto this other stuff. We have to let go of that stuff first, so our hands are empty and you can fill them. Sometimes cheesy, but so true. So true. Must be dependent, desperate. The prayer of true faith, dear congregation, which this woman demonstrates, stands upon certain grounds. Such grounds as other prayers we find in Scripture, like, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Second, her interaction with Christ. We find her full interaction with Christ in Matthew 15, 21 through 28. You may turn there if it will be of help to you. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Let's notice a few things here. In her interaction with Christ, she first pleads with him by his titles. Pleads with him by his titles. She cried out to Jesus saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord calling him, Thou Son of David. In faith, she not only recognized his person, that he was the Son of David, the promised Christ, the Son of God. She not only recognized that and called him that, but she also pleaded with him upon these grounds. Because thou art the Son of God, and thus art the Lord, thou canst show mercy, O Lord. I ask thee upon the grounds of who thou truly art, that thou wouldst show me mercy. Faith, dear congregation, is rooted in the self-revelation of God. Faith is rooted and founded and rested upon the self-revelation of God. Prayer is an echoing back, dear congregation. Prayer is an echoing back to God the promises which he has made to us based upon who he says he is. Puritan William Gurnall puts it this way, quote, Prayer is nothing but the promise reversed, or God's word formed into an argument and retorted by faith unto God again, end quote. In other words, faith fixes itself upon who God says he is. Faith fixes itself upon who God says he is. It rests upon Jesus as the true promised Messiah, the deliverer of his people, Faith looks to Christ as compassionate, as merciful. It pleads for mercy and grace and puts forth no merit of its own. Her faith, this woman's faith, worked in her confident prayer. Asking Jesus, not as from some man, not as from some healer, not as from a doctor, not as from a religious leader, but from Jesus as Lord. From Jesus as Lord. Not even a king like unto Solomon, but the son of David, one greater than Solomon. Here, this Gentile woman, how strange, owns Christ Jesus to be who he truly is, namely the Messiah. This is what her faith fastened upon. This is what our faith, dear congregation, should fasten upon as well. 
that Christ is the or that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. All comfort should come from this that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal son of the everlasting God. She calls him Lord. This title, Lord, from which she expects acts of power because as Lord, Jesus is mighty to save. She calls him the son of David. She uses that title also, from which she expects all the mercy and grace which were prophesied concerning him. But again, remember, she is a Gentile. Although she was a Gentile, she owns as her own. She takes as her own the promise made to the fathers of the Jews. We Gentiles, like her, must receive Christianity, as Matthew Henry said, quote, not only as an improvement of natural religion, meaning this is the best form of religion that we can find, but as the perfection of the Jewish religion with an eye to the Old Testament, end quote. We must see it in its full covenantal context. The Old Testament scriptures, dear Christians, the Old Testament scriptures are our inheritance. They are our birthright by the new birth, worked by the Holy Spirit. For in them, in the Old Testament scriptures, the covenant of grace in which we stand is revealed and promised and worked out. Dear congregation, as Paul says in Romans 15.4, whatsoever things were written aforetime, Old Testament, were written not only for our learning, but that we might have hope through patience and comfort of the scriptures. They are ours. And faith, dear congregation, clings and pleads, clings to and pleads God's titles. But not just some vain repetition of his titles. Mm. Rather, a repetition or a, a pleading and a clinging to them that is a holding to and a, st- and a standing upon the substance which they represent. Not just repeating his titles, calling him Lord, El Shaddai, Jehovah. There's all sorts of titles, Jesus, that we can say. Not just vain repetition of them, thinking that by repeating them or saying them in our prayers, that will in itself do something. But to plead his titles, the names which he has chosen to reveal himself through, is to stand upon, to rest in, to hold to the substance of what they represent. Many, many people call Jesus Lord that shall at the last day lift up their eyes in hell. But all who rest in Jesus as Lord shall find him to be both Lord and Savior indeed. Lord and Savior indeed. Next we see that Jesus tests Her faith. Jesus tests her faith in this interaction between them. The woman cried out in faith, pleading Christ's promises and character, standing upon his power to be merciful. Then he puts her to trial. If you're in Matthew 15, you'll read that he answered her not a word. He answered her not a word. Although God, we know throughout scripture, loves a penitent petitioner, one who humbly comes and requests of God. And we see this especially in the person of Jesus Christ. Yet sometimes God does remain silent. 
and even seems for a time to give no heed to the desperate cries of the penitent. How discouraging this must have been to her. What? Is this not he who has stooped low to help so many needy souls? Has he not replied to the cries of penitent, humble sinners that have come to him and given them what they've asked for even? Shall I, this poor Syrophoenician woman, be the first to be turned away from so great a salvation? But Christ knew what was best for her case, didn't he? And therefore, he gives her no answer. That she might be, what, all the more earnest in prayer by seeming to draw away the desired mercy from her, he drew her on to be so much the more persistent for it. Dear congregation, one Puritan said, every accepted prayer is not immediately an answered prayer. Every accepted prayer is not immediately an answered prayer. Sometimes we've all experienced this. God seems to give no regard to his people's prayers. But he does this to prove their faith. And so to improve their faith. To grow their faith. This makes the appearance of God's grace when it does come. When the prayer is answered. All the more glorious to himself. And all the more sweet to us. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Notice also that she was not put to silence by the Lord's silence, was she? But like others in the gospel, she continues to cry out for mercy. She turns to crying after the disciples in the passage in Matthew 15. In times of struggle, dear congregation, it is good for us also to turn to Christ's people to turn to Christ's people, that they might pray for us also. But oftentimes, just as we see in Matthew 15, Christ's disciples sometimes do more harm than good. Christ kept silent, but he didn't send her away. Whereas the disciples, his own disciples, want to send her away. Let us learn from both her and from them, from her, that we make use of the prayers of fellow Christians. And from them, that we never drive away those who are coming to Christ for mercy. Jesus then turns to increase her desperation all the more, saying, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She had pleaded with him upon the very fact that he was the Messiah of Israel, the Christ of over the house of Israel. Now, he puts her claim to the test. He puts her claim to the test. Dost thou truly trust that I am the Lord, the son of David, and am able to give thee mercy? Knowest thou not that I am the Lord, God who revealed myself to Israel, covenanted with them, and set them as the apple of mine eye? Why, being a Gentile woman, pleadest thou with me upon these grounds, namely, that I'm the son of David, that I'm the Lord. 
Well, she has, she has no argument left. She has no answer, but persists in her desperation. Her desperation now being made worse and just says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. When we, dear church family, like her, are grieved, are burdened, are laid low in humility. And when we don't understand how to reconcile our situation with what we know God to be, let us also, like her, do this. Maintain our hold upon God's ability to help us and to care for us when all seems against us. When nothing about our life makes sense, when even our theological understanding offers us no resolution, no comfort, let us continue to say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Sometimes that's all a stammering, broken sinner can lisp in faith. Lord, help me. This is the most powerful thing we can do. Third, he continues to put her faith to the test and pushes it to the most severe trial yet. He res- in response to her, Lord, help me. In Matthew 15, Christ lays her lower than she had yet been. He answered and said, It is not meat, fitting, or proper to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Jesus tests whether she truly believes that she has any right to him by seeming to exclude her from all the benefits of the Messiah which belonged to Israel. Mercy at his hands was their proper food. It was their bread. To them first was he sent. To them first did the apostles go. We see this. How harsh was this reply which he gave to her pleading, Lord, help me. Not to the dogs, but to the children. How difficult this must have been to hear. How unlike our Lord's usual manner even in the Gospels. But how true. How true. No covenant privilege, dear congregation, can be hoped for or given to them who have no right to it. No covenant privilege can be given to or hoped for by them who are not part of the covenant. They have no right to it. The blessing of the covenant Messiah was as bread for God's children. The Canaanites were no more members of Abraham's chosen family than were the unclean dogs. They were no more part of Abraham's chosen family than were the unclean dogs. They were unclean and unbelieving. For centuries, they had known no more of the true God of Israel than the dogs which roamed the streets in the cities of Israel. Like dogs. They had bitten and snapped and clawed at the heels of the Lord's people. Likely, she had even heard Jews referring to the Gentiles as dogs before. Ah, the Gentiles! They are but unclean dogs, not like the blessed children of Abraham. We have Abraham to our father, and his God for ours. But dear congregation, the woman's response, which we now turn to, her response to this final trial shows that she understood more of the true nature of God's gracious covenant 
than the children who had begun to play with their food and drop it upon the floor. Third, Christ honoring her faith. She remains importunate in faith. Through this last, though this last trial was certainly the most vexing of them all and laid her the lowest in the dust, even almost to the grave, though it provided her with the greatest excuse to now leave off praying, yet her faith broke through this as well, didn't it? And she said, Yea, Lord, what thou sayest is true. Yet the dogs under their master's table eat of the children's crumbs. Combining a response in both Matthew 15 and Mark 7. Believers are content. Believers are content to be humbled as low as the Lord pleases to bring them. She does not contradict his pronouncement over her that she is a dog but actually uses it as an argument for his mercy. She owns the title, and like many in the scriptures, yea, even a dead dog. Every believer who is in the least acquainted with his sin has owned themselves to be the chief of sinners. That is, the worst sinner that has ever lived. But rather than being an argument against God's mercy, seeing the depths of your depravity, the depths of your sin, is actually an argument for God's mercy. For Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And as Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Mm. She proves in her response that she, even as a dog, had more knowledge of God's grace than did the children sitting sitting at the table. The Jews had Jesus with them in their regions all the time. And And though many did go out to see him, many also did not. This woman comes from distant coasts to seek him. The children had despised the bread that they were given, letting it fall to the floor. But this Gentile dog of a woman is ready and willing to feast upon the crumbs of God's grace even. She saw Christ as truly and infinitely powerful. She didn't ask for a whole loaf. She believed that only a crumb of mercy was sufficient for all her needs. The physical seed of Abraham is not always the true seed of Abraham, and thus not always true partakers of the covenant of grace. Mm. What Paul says is true of this woman in Galatians three twenty six and 29, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, and if ye be Christ. Then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This woman, this Canaanite woman, Syrophoenician by birth, Greek, Gentile, was the true seed of Abraham by faith in Christ. And thus, she was an heir of all the promises and all the benefits of Christ. She did not go away 
from Christ when he pointed out that she was that he was sent only to the house of Israel. She didn't then go away. Rather, she showed herself to actually be part of that house spiritually by faith Amen. in him. Mm. Dear, dear congregation, dear Christians, dear believers, so are all we by faith in Christ. We are Abraham's seed. What nation am I from? Israel. We are Israel. The true partakers of God's covenant by faith. Even the crumbs of the covenant are sweet to our taste and are as fatness to our souls. Jesus always has an eye to faith, doesn't he? Mm. He always has an eye to faith. He always searches it out and he honors it wherever he finds it. But this was no small faith that she had. This was no small faith. It had been increased and increased and increased through the trial to become what? Great faith. Great faith. Jesus responds to her saying, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And we read that her daughter was made whole from that very hour. The devil which sorely vexed her, fled. Like Jacob. Like Jacob. The Syrophoenician woman had wrestled with the Lord, refusing to let go of him. Refusing to take the hands of faith off of him until he blessed her. And faith always breaks through, dear congregation. Our faith always breaks through because faith pleads the promises of God in Christ Jesus. And faith shall have the response from Jesus that we find in Mark chapter 7. For this saying, go thy way. When he hears a faithful saying, he grants it. Faith does not part with Christ. Does not depart from Christ. Leave him when it meets difficulty or resistance. But faith causes the soul to continue pursuing Christ in petition and prayer. Faith hopes in spite of hope. Faith refuses to let go of Christ, even if he seems to refuse it. Faith takes all that Christ is pleased to give, even if it's crumbs. Faith increases in trial and says, With faithful Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And with Peter, Lord, to whom shall I go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Mm. Though we may perish, I think all believers feel this way. Though we may perish on Christ's doorstep, we refuse to go anywhere else. But the good news is, He shall certainly not allow us to perish, for he has promised us life everlasting. Believer, you may have been long time on some errand of prayer, but take this woman as an encouragement. Persevere in your praying. Dear Christian, if some beloved family member, some beloved friend is still without Christ and you have shared the gospel with that person. You've been praying for them for years. Remain in prayer for them. 
Remain in prayer for them. If you seem to just continue in the same hopeless condition of despair and faithlessness, lacking assurance, continue in prayer. If for all your praying, you still suffer need, you still find a lack in your life, continue in prayer. Why? Because as a partaker of the covenant of grace, even if the heavens above you, dear Christian, are as brass and the earth as iron, know that this is only our perception, not reality. Continue in faith and prayer, praying, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And soon, when you're persevering in prayer, the heavens will melt into rains of blessing and relief. The sun of righteousness will shine in your hearts, giving warmth to your soul. The king of heaven will soon break through and deliver you. In closing, dear congregation, let us remember that Christ loves his people and that he has come to save sinners and that he shall save them all, wherever they are. Let us remain in prayer for the lost around us, pleading for God's mercy upon them. Dear believers, think no evil of your Lord Jesus Christ. His present silence to your prayers, his present trials upon your faith are all for your good. To increase your little faith into great faith. He knows how to care for his own people, doesn't he? Amen. He is the good shepherd who loves his sheep. He knows his own and his own know him. Recognize then, believer, that even the crumbs of his grace serve you as a meal of infinite sustenance. That even the dew of heaven is as an ocean of grace for covenant partakers. He shall never leave us. He shall never forsake us. Our covenant Lord is with us always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. He works all our present trials and all of our present infirmities for the good of our souls and for the glory of his name, which is our joy. We can be certain of this. Why? We can be certain that this is the, this is the truth. Because he who was prophesied to come was incarnate, manifest in the flesh, fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf in his life, died for us on the cross, rose from the dead for our justification, and ascended to the right hand of his Father in heaven, where all authority, all power over everything is given to the Son, Jesus Christ. And now, He intercedes for us at that right hand. The powerful one, the mighty one. To Christ is all power given. And he powerfully governs all things according to his will for our good. 
What more sure foundation could we ask for, dear believer? What more sure foundation could we want when we feel discouraged? We feel cast out. When we feel that the children's bread might not be ours. Let us remember that even the dogs under their master's table eat the crumbs of the children's bread. Dear congregation, as believers, I think that we have chosen the best. We've chosen the best portion. It should not be taken from us. It is enough for us. It is even more than enough. It is all of our life, all of our joy, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we again come to thee in prayer. Give us minds and hearts and even bodies that are able to persevere in prayer more than we are now able. Give us scabbed knees, people on our knees, O Lord, before thee. reliant upon thee, dependent upon thee, desperate for thee, confident in thee. Lord, make us like this Canaanite woman, willing to persevere in prayer because we have a better promise even that thou lovest us. Thou dost reign Thy right hand, Lord, at the right hand of thy Father, Lord Jesus. Thou hast given us thy Holy Spirit. Grant us faith and hope in believing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.